Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Zach Moore Show. Today's episode is going to be about an article that I wrote for BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. It's an article titled, Ravens Thoughts After the Marcus Peters Acquisition. Now, um, going into this seat, well, let me, before we get, go, get going, um, if you want to support the podcast, the Jiu-Jitsu Planner um, is a good website to go to, jujitsuplanner.com. Uh, 10% of all revenues from the Jiu-Jitsu Planner will be going to Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten, and Fight for the Forgotten is a charity that I'm also supporting this football season uh, via the Blitzalytics All Heart Charity Football League. Uh, Blitzalytics is a sports anal- a football analytics website. They're putting together a um, a great um, a great campaign this this season. You know, just a charity campaign. We have ten people in the league. Each person has their own charity. We donate to those charities, and um, in doing so. Um, you know, we, we put out some good into the world. If you guys want to support me, um, you can, oh, well, and also, uh, with that Blitzlytics charity, you can go to go.rallyup.com to learn more about Mr. Wren's, um, charity Fight for the Forgotten. You can learn about the, what he's proposing to do in, in the, in the, in now in Uganda. He already helped the Pygmy tribes of the Congo. Now he's helping the Pygmy tribes in Uganda. And um, he's an amazing guy. Currently, we just saw it come across uh, the news feeds, uh, you know, Twitter feeds and social media feeds this morning. Uh, in, in the MMA world, there's this kid named Raiden, and now there's a hashtag, Stan with Raiden. Uh, apparently, Justin's been the one behind that and now has put, brought this to the forefront and is now providing this kid with, um, you know, s- support during a difficult time. He's a special needs boy. Out of Oklahoma, Justin is based in Oklahoma, as is his jiu-jitsu instructor, Hapio Lovato, who's a friend of ours at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, uh, 10th Planet Austin at the Onnit Academy here in Austin, obviously, 10th Planet Austin. Um, and in doing, in, in, in um, you know, he, he's helping the young man out, um, you know, helping him um, with some treatment. He's been spending the last 20 days with him. I'm sure that uh, if I get a chance to talk to Justin about it, I'll have more details on all of this. And, um, you know, it's just, Justin's a great guy. And the whole MMA community gets behind, you know, these kids that are, you know, you, you see on social media, kids that have become, been bullied and are in the process of uh, dealing with that. So Justin's been helping him out. And, uh, you know, go.rallyup.com slash forgotten is a great way to support a great charity that uh, helps people that are oppressed in Africa and helps people who are bullied here at home. So, I mean, which is a really cool thing, the way I just, I, I realized, you know, the two things this morning, uh, just thinking about it, is he's dealing with, like, the most bullied, oppressed people in Africa, um, you know, halfway across the globe, and then people who are dealing with something here at home. So, it's really cool. It's great to be a part of, a, small, a very small part of it, um, and to just try and do, do something good for him. So go.rallyup.com slash forgotten. Just, just donate five bucks if you can. And, um, you know, you can support the podcast by going to uh, Amazon as well and ba- buying my book, Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. Uh, if you like what I'm about to discuss in this podcast, the kind of stuff I'm discussing, um, you know, salary caps, contracts, the business of football, all sorts of things that uh, would entice someone who, found my podcast um you know that book's a great place to start details the salary cap era the way teams are constructed how they've been managed and how super bowl champion 
caliber rosters are constructed. So that brings us to, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at Zach Moore NFL, Zach with a K, and Moore with two O's, if uh, you've never seen that last name before somehow. Um, anyway, so with the Ravens, the Ravens, uh, the article I wrote, Marcus Peter is now part of the organization, and... You know, throughout the offseason, coming to the season, I, I had the 2000 Ravens in mind when it came to considering what this team might look like. Just as a general strategic basis of we're going to run the football, we're going to play great defense. And, you know, that offense was powered by Jamal Lewis with 1,660 yards from scrimmage. Priest Holmes had over 800. And then Shannon Sharp was the team's leading receiver with 810 yards, right? So this year's team, and then the team was terrible at passing. Trent Dilfer was the quarterback. Uh, Tony Tony Banks was the quarterback, um, but the team still managed to be 14th in the NFL over the course of the 2000 season, scoring 20.8 points per game. Now um, we have we got Ravens PFR, and currently this team is averaging 30.6 points per game, which is second in the NFL, I believe, behind the Patriots. Uh, that shouldn't have changed after last week's demolishing of the Jets. And just the amazing, uh, I think uh, Sam Darnold had minus 12 fantasy uh, points in fantasy football this week, which is amazing. The Patriots are amazing. Uh, there's a ton of stats that I saw after the game in terms of they've like apparently matched their sack and interception totals from 2018. Um, you know, just, just a team's off to an incredible start. And obviously, they played garbage competition. Um, I, you know, if you look up the win-loss records of the teams they played so far, outside of the Bills, I think everyone has a losing record, and everyone has a really bad losing record. They're not three and four; they're like one and five type of type of losing record. So, you know, New England's number one in the in the league. I think I think on offense points scored, defense points allowed, amazing. So this year's team has Lamar Jackson leading the NFL at six point nine yards per carry. Um, he has, he now has, sorry, I wrote the article before this weekend, so let me, let me, let me look at this again. He now has 576 rushing yards. Mark Ingram has 470. Gus Edwards has 234 of his own. This team is, um, is averaging, I have it right here. Team is averaging 204 rushing yards per game. They're on pace for 3,266 rushing yards, which would be an NFL record, beating the 1978 New England Patriots by 101 yards. Um, I accidentally put Steve Rogan. I better, I better edit that edit that up because it's Steve Grogan, not Steve Rogan. Um, but anyway, I, I guess that's an autocorrect there. Um, but uh, I, I guess I've written Joe Rogan's name enough on, on my, on my uh, computer. So anyway... So with this idea, right, this rushing offense, and then with Mark Andrews as the team's leading receiver now with 449 yards receiving, um, you know, this this team is similarly constructed. It, it reminds me of when I looked at the 2015 Broncos, and I considered the rushing offense they had versus the, the championship teams with Terrell Davis. I considered what they had with Peyton Manning. I considered Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, Owen Daniels, and I looked at the way the roster was constructed in terms of that 1997-98 teams. Similar, Shannon Sharp, right? Shannon Sharp um, was, you know, the tight end for those teams and for those Broncos teams, and then Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, right? So we're looking at a similar 
triumvirate of those three pass catchers um, that put the team in position to succeed in a, in a way that was similar to what they had had success doing earlier. So when I look at an organization over a long period of time, and I'm considering how they put themselves in a position to win a Super Bowl, uh, I, and if the team had the prior Super Bowl championship, that's an easy um, comparable to look at because the people within the organization, I'm sure, are analyzing this in a similar manner. They're saying to themselves, you know, this is what's worked for us before. This is what we have on our roster currently. And um, this is, you know, the strategy we can use to move forward and, and um, you know, just compete for a Super Bowl. So with this, this Ravens team, you know, during the... This, this offense is being run through their tight ends uh, in terms of the passing game, which is which is really important because it's based in this concept of they are um, running the football um, well. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me just get a number on this right here. There's, there's, yeah, Shannon Sharp on that. On that. So, okay, so Shannon Sharp, right? So, running the football. Play action passes creates a, a, an opportunity for the offense in terms of the, the linebackers, the safeties, people reacting to the run, and then there being the potential for uh, a tight end over the middle of the field, you know, taking advantage of that reaction. So that 2000 season had Shannon Sharp and Ben Coates as the team's tight ends. They had 123 tar uh, targets out of 488 total targets for the season. So that 25% of targets went to the tight end this year. Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, Nick Boyle have combined for 92 of 213 targets already. That's 43% of targets are going to these tight ends. Now, Jackson is in the top. He might be in the top five now because um, his play-action percentage it increased up to 31% of his dropbacks are now play-action passes. So that, that gives you a perspective on, on you know, the correlation probably between the play-action and them, them, them attacking tight ends, right? So, like the 2000 team as well, Quadre Ismail, a 4-2-40 kind of guy, was their number one threat at wide receiver, had the most targets for wide receivers. Marquise Brown, similarly similar mold type of speedster, kind of guy that can stretch the defense deep, which further helps the running game. You know, the threat of, of, of him going deep, you know, does something to the safeties, forces them to be more cognizant of what he might be doing, lending, lending the, the, the opportunity for the team to run the ball or take advantage of a play-action pass, uh, you know, in the middle of the field. And then also, uh, on that tight end, uh, I mean, on that safety safety idea, or on that defensive back idea, um, you know, you have if you have threats on the outside, maybe you can force some man defense, which then t forces teams to turn their back and then leads to the opportunity for Lamar Jackson to uh, take advantage of a defense that has his back turned. Now, when you consider a Russian quarterback... A lot of a lot more people out there um, might remember, you know. Just think back to when you're, you know. I think this is a really important kind of concept, a way to think about uh, a running quarterback and and the problem it presents. Remember when you were a kid or you were in high school and you're playing a defense that, or you're playing defense against an offense that has a rushing quarterback and. Do you remember the frustration that you had if you were playing defensive back, especially, or even I, I've never played defensive line, but um, you know I can imagine the frustration for a defensive lineman against a mobile quarterback. But I know the frustration of a cornerback against a mobile quarterback, where you're covering someone downfield, you're doing your job, 
But because you guys have turned your back and, you know, the quarterback has the mobility and the open field space to, to make something happen, you've uh, you turned your back and now he's got 20, 20 yards of, of running room and you're still facing your defender before you even realize he's almost, you know, on top of you. So, you know, that brings me to an article written by Ross Tucker from, uh, it's with The Athletic. Ross Tucker is from a variety of places, probably one of the best, um, best, most hardworking personalities in football. He's got a few podcasts. He's got a few places he writes for, uh, considering his, his, his being a Princeton graduate and playing in the NFL for a long time. I would imagine this stuff comes, uh, you know, he's hardworking because it probably, he's so prolific because it probably comes a bit naturally to him. He, he, he's, he always puts things that I read in a, in a very, um, you know, succinct, strong way. So, here are the quotes he got. It's the great equalizer. It's almost impossible to stop. Coaching defensive football in college is hard right now. Now, he's on CBS Sports Network. He has meetings with people each week regarding those, those production meetings with coaches that, uh, that, you know, go on, that allow these announcers to provide us as the fans watching the game with some perspective on, you know, how they feel about the game and, and you know, their, their thoughts going into the week, which then flavors the announcer, right? So... They were all, all those quotes are about quarterback-based running games and how difficult it is to, to defend. And he writes, for years, defenses, defenses had, or at least could choose to have, a number count advantage when they felt the offense wanted to run the football. You want to line up in 21 personnel with two backs in the backfield and a tight end? We'll put the eighth man in the box and you'll be a guy short with your seven blockers trying to create a hole for your running back. Want to try 12 personnel with two running backs and one back, uh, two tight ends and one back? Same thing. 11 personnel... One tight end, one back, six total blockers. We'll put the seventh guy down there, the line of scrimmage, and still have three guys covering your receivers and a safety in the deep middle uh, of the field to help them. So it was a numbers advantage, right? In any of those situations, the defense comes up with a numbers advantage because 11 men on offense, the quarterback, if he's immobile and he's incapable of, of running the football, the, um, the offense is in a position where it's kind of, in a sense, 10 on 11, which, which, you know, the defense has that safety as the counter to the quarterback. The safety doesn't have to cover the quarterback. Now he's able to help the, the cornerbacks and the defensive backs, uh, the, the other safety, whoever's covering who, um, defend the pass. And in, in doing so, if you have uh, Mark Andrews, maybe that, and Mark Andrews is having a big game and they see him as a threat, maybe that safety is over the top of him as extra help, right? But... The, that advantage is completely gone once the quarterback is the primary runner or at least a central figure in the run game like we were seeing in Baltimore. In order to get an extra guy to stop the run, the defense can no longer have a safety in the deep middle of the field, which puts your coverage guys into strict man-to-man -man with no help anywhere, an almost impossible task. Plus, there is nobody in the, at the third level of the defense, so if the run does break through the second level, it could go for a long way. Now we're, kind of, you know, we're getting into some of the stuff that, that makes the, the Ravens so dynamic and such a threat. To, uh, to opponents. So, none of this is new per se. Uh, teams did it before, RG3, Colin Kaepernick. The new aspect of this is that the Ravens are majoring in the quarterback running game, as, as Mr. Tucker puts it. Jackson has at least 14 carries in four of the Ravens' seven games this year, including the last three. Those last three have all been victories for the Ravens after they suffered back-to-back -back losses to the Chiefs and Browns in which Jackson ran fewer than 10 times in each contest. So, when he didn't run the football, they lost. Um, you know, for years, teams have been fearful of this because of the, the potential of the quarterback getting hurt. 
the Ravens have mitigated that risk a little bit via uh, a backup quarterback, RG3, a third-string quarterback, Trace McSorley. Those kind of rhymed, RG3 and Trace McSorley. Anyway, fastest he was the fastest quarterback at this year's Combine and the player known for his incredible toughness. Uh, he obviously, he, he wasn't very accurate in college, um, so there's an issue there. And obviously, that if either of those guys uh, become the quarterback for the Ravens, um, you know, obviously there's going to be a downgrade in this in this offense. So, it's a hell of an experiment if you think about it, and it is one the Ravens made a conscious decision to take part in. Before the year, Harbaugh was asked by former Ravens coach Brian Billick on NFL Network if his team was going to run an offense the NFL had never seen before, and he said, I kind of agree with that, I really would. He also told the Athletics' own Dan Pompey that he expects this to change the way offensive football is played in the National Football League. As he told Billick, the game was probably revolutionized with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. What's the next era going to be? We're about to find out. And I think that's a really important point because actually, to, to what he's saying here, is that it, uh, to what Harbaugh is saying here, Walsh is a part of this evolution as well. Walsh believed uh, that QB mobility was a key factor in, in, in his offense. He believed that um, not just it, so his offense was sent, the West Coast offense, uh, as you know, uh, was essentially built on the idea of of um, of a quarterback who is accurate, intelligent, mobile. If you're looking at three traits, which is something Bill Belichick does well, I wrote about this in Caponomics, is that he he breaks like uh, he breaks the most important aspect of the game down into three, uh, you know, if it's the game, three three points. If it's the, uh, you know, top three points of the game. Uh, if it's a player, he divides that into, you know, what are the three most important things we need out of this position. So it's in, you know, what are the, you know, what are the, if you were writing an outline of, you know, what a, te- what a team is supposed to do, what are, what are the headlines, right? And so with that offense, that offense mobility was, was a factor in that. Uh, there, were, there were other things, obviously you needed arm strength, you needed all these things, but uh, at the time that this started, uh, the offenses were much more vertical, a lot less horizontal in terms of uh, the passing routes, so a lot, a lot of more stuff downfield. And what Walsh ended up doing, just a quick, quick re- refresher, and, and, and important thing to understand is that Walsh's offense has created the NFL that, there, that exists today, uh, increased the completion percentages, increased, uh, decreased the, the turnovers, the turnover rates of these quarterbacks, the, the interception rates, uh, made, made for a more efficient offense, and, um, you know, that, that's the league we see today. But now Harbaugh is trying to take it a step further and, you know, create an offense around this mobility, which I think is vitally important. I, I, in the games I'm watching this season and the stuff I'm seeing, I'm constantly reminded of this threat of the run. Whether it's uh, third down or the team's in the red zone and they can't find anybody open, this is a vital part of, of, of offensive football is the ability to have this 11th guy on the field that the defense sometimes just can't figure out how to account for. And it is a nuisance from the time you're eight years old and start playing football until the NFL. But because the, the quarterback, you know, to play counterpoint, right, because the quarterback is the most valuable player within the organization, he's not necessarily the guy that you want to be 220 pounds getting hit by you know, continuously by 260-pound linebackers, 250-pound linebackers, going at a high rate of speed. Uh, mass times uh, acceleration equals force, right? 
if I screwed that up, then you know I'm an idiot. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, you know, I, I don't have it in front of me, but um, you know, mass times acceleration equals force, power, whatever. It equals violence. Uh, a lot. <laughs> I think that's a that might be a better uh, equation. That size plus speed equals violence. And when you're 220 20 pounds, right? You know, I, I, I've, the more I do jujitsu, the more I recognize how insane I was to play football uh, at 180 pounds at the college level against people who are 300 pounds. Because you just in 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 the individual one-on-one combat sports, right? Football is team combat and team combat. I also wonder what it would be like to be a 250-pound football player versus a 185-pound football player, where you're you're one of the bigger guys on the field, right? But uh, it's just an interesting thought that comes across my, my head sometimes is that how crazy is it that Darren Sproles, that Antonio Brown, that so-and-so, Antonio Brown, he's laid out by Vontez Perfect, Perfect, uh, you know, 260-pound type guy, 250 pounds, right? That's a, that's a lot of violence on a smaller man, right? And so, um, you know, quarterbacks are in this, in this area where you don't want them to get hit, but the mobility factor is obviously so important. Uh, you can see it. Quite clearly, um, you know, in in any game you watch, and the Ravens are building an offense around that, and and the the result is is a team that similar to the two thousand team will be largely structured through the the run game, and they're hoping now will be further structured through the um, path, uh, through the defense. But a huge surprise, not a surprise. Maybe the success of it is a surprise, but the fact that Jackson has improved quite significantly on his rookie season. Jackson improved as a passer every year at Louisville. He was one of those kids in high school that was supremely talented. Therefore, the um, I think it's kind of like a Vince Young issue as well, um, where he had a little bit more room. Well, this, his, his issue came when he went from the NFL, uh, this college into the NFL. But with Jackson... Um, you know, he, when he was in high school, he kind of, I think he kind of freelanced a little bit, obviously, for good reason. Uh, you know, you run, you can run the offense, but you can also figure out how to make, you know, just give this dude the ball and figure out how he, how he makes it happen, right? Um, but he is now thrown for 243.6 passing yards per game over the first seven games of this season. Uh, over the last seven games of last season, he averaged 159 passing yards. So... He's turned this offense into something much more than we were projecting. But, and, and, and largely, this is important, the team has gone from 32 to 1 odds, the 16 most, 16th most likely team to win the Super Bowl, to 20 to 1 odds, the 7th most likely team to win the Super Bowl. So, so Vegas has seen this improvement from Jackson. And, um, you know, I mean, it, 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 what I mean is the improvement from Jackson is, is really heavily reflected in the Vegas odds because a bit surprisingly the defense has been a disappointment as the NFL's second ranked defense in points and first in yards last year is now ranked 16th in points and 13th in yards okay so but it's an important note that um they gave up 33 to the Chiefs they gave up 40 to the Browns offense and in my opinion, my opinion might be wrong. Uh, you know, the Browns' offense should be more solid than they than they have displayed otherwise. So there's a points per game bump that comes from those two matchups. And but the teams they kept in check uh, before the Seattle game, where they held Seattle to 16 points, 
But before the Seattle game, the teams they kept in check were the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Steelers, and the Bengals. Four teams that are kind of not good this season, right? And um, so the defense got some help last week. That's part of that article I wrote and part of the article I'm, I'm reading from right now is, uh, you know, Marcus Peters, he was the 13th ranked cornerback at the time they traded for him. He had such a good game this week with his interception return for a touchdown and an 87.2 overall grade from PFF that he's now the fourth best cornerback in the NFL uh, in terms of their grades. And they got him for a reserve linebacker and a fifth-round pick. And Kenny Young is a reserve linebacker. Uh, They traded. He was benched. And Marcus Peters is a two-time All-Pro, which kind of gives you an idea if the Rams were willing to move on from him and then trade first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, there's a there's something you can you can see there in terms of his character concerns that have, that have plagued him since he left Washington, the University of Washington, since he was dismissed from the team at Washington and then entered the draft process. Um, you know, he's on his third team in four years despite incredible ability. So he might not be someone that the Ravens keep on board long term if he can't figure out how to not continue whatever he's doing, whatever we don't know about, whatever's going on. Um, you know, he is, you know, in a position where, I mean, Joshua Dobbs was traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a fifth round pick. So, you know, right there, you've got a a pretty good indication of, of how his, his production, even though he is in the last year of a contract is not similar to the value he would just received on the market, especially when you consider that the Ravens are probably going to receive, if they let him go, they would receive a third or fourth round compensatory selection, which is... You know, when you consider that, uh, third or fourth, I mean, Los Angeles really didn't get much because they could have just let him walk in free agency, kept him on the roster, you know, not you know, not done the Jalen Ramsey thing and everything. But now they've got, now the team, the, the Ravens are pretty deep, right? They're pretty deep at defensive back. Two guys they no longer have to rely on for a lot of snaps are Anthony Averett and Maurice Kennedy. Um, <coughs> and... Uh, now the defense, uh, the the backfield, uh, the the cornerback group is now Marlon Humphrey seems to be in the slot now. Brandon Carr is the right cornerback. Marcus Peters is the left cornerback. So Peters is also in a position where maybe they have the franchise tag, maybe they use that. But the team has sixty nine million dollars in cap space according to OverTheCap.com. So it's a trade that could result in a long term acquisition for a cornerback who's going to be expensive. But the team also has. Um, you know, currently speaking, over the cap just came out with this new valuation program that is all Jason Fitzgerald and, and whoever he worked on behind the scenes with that. It's been something that I've been think, uh, you know, writing out and thinking about all the things that would go into get factor into this. If I if I built out a model that was uh, you know a couple steps further for if you were an organization and you were trying to figure out you were trying to figure out um, you know who you're going to sign in free agency and what their their production value might be on their next contract. Versus what their market value is, and you're trying to find the best values in the uh, you know in the in the market. So you know th- there's this over the cap valuation model that we can expand even further, right? But Jason's done an incredible job, and his valuation um, is that the Ravens post week seven are getting ninety three million dollars worth of value over their average per year in terms of their contracts that the players are on. This is the seventh most valuable team in the NFL in terms of um, value over APY. And it's largely due to guys like Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, um, you know, uh, uh, those aren't the, you know, now Marcus Peters is on that list as well. But um, those aren't, you know, what the point with this is now is that 
let's just look at the expensive positions. Tackle, quarterback, wide receiver, uh, edge rusher. You know, that's one spot where the Ravens are a bit, a bit, in a bit of an iffy situation. But Matthew Judon is um, performing well for them um, on a rookie contract. And, uh, but obviously, four sacks is not enough out of your, you know, your top guy. Pernell McPhee is on a, a low cost veteran contract now that he has gotten his money in uh, Chicago, come back, came back home after being released. And I think, I think he spent last year in Washington. I'm, I'm not 100% positive without it in front of me. Uh, well, I can just put it in front of me real quick. Pernell McPhee, yeah, he was in Washington last season, right? He's 31 years old now. But anyway, they're getting a lot of value out of especially rookie contract guys. Marlon Humphreys, uh, Miles Boykin, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. Guys that are outperforming their value at what could be tight end, not an expensive position, but the other positions are can be very expensive positions. So when you're looking at a roster, and this is part of why I thought the Browns were going to be so good this year, was that when you look at Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, um... Denzel Ward, and, and two of those guys have not performed very well this year, and Mayfield and Ward. Um, when you look at that kind of value being produced by players at very expensive positions that are making about 3% of the salary cap, you're in a position where the team is getting about, can can be getting upwards of 30% of the salary cap in value for, you know, and now I'm switching over to percentages rather than dollar figures, like, you know, in Jason's, Jason's model. Um, but, you know, this is this is my kind of forte of the how I perceive per, perceive the you know the salary cap and the rosters and um, you know the you know you're getting extreme value out of these guys right and so the Ravens are now in a position where moving forward um, you know they're projected to have nine picks in the first five rounds of next year of this year 2020 coming draft seven picks in 2021. So this team's in a position to now accelerate this, uh, you know, can keep the same roster together with the cap space and the, and the picks and use the picks to now solve some other issues. But the only real need the team now has is at, the, at, at pass rusher, right? So now the team is in this position where, uh, you know, PFF currently ranks them, at, rank, ranks them as the 28th best pass rush in the NFL. That's a drop from number 11 the year prior as Zadarius Smith and Terrell Suggs left in free agency. So now the team is in a position where they're looking, you know, kind of, kind of the point of the article I wrote was, you know, how do how does the team secure uh, an edge rusher now? Because that that seems to be the final piece that makes this team a Super Bowl champion uh, type of player. And they had to be hoping that Jalen Ferguson, who they drafted in the third round of this year's draft, would have given them a, lo- a little bit more. But he hasn't, you know, he he's he's increasing his snap snap almost at snack. His snap totals every week, um, you know, he's gone from 13% of the snaps in week three against the Chiefs to 64% of the snaps in week seven against the Seahawks. So he's continuing to increase his snap count. So maybe that's that's some help you'll get down the line as the season progresses. But after the, the Peters trade, the Ravens only have $1.5 million worth of cap space. So bit of an issue here in the current year is uh, figuring out how to fit somebody under those under that number and you know so I wrote it out Willie Sneed could convert it could be extended is he a great player no but is he is he a player that is providing value to this team in the form of you know what he provides as a uh, slot receiver and as a you know possession type of receiver yeah he's adding value right so the team could sign him to an extension in the four to five million range that might entice him and it could also clear space as well 
Um, five million, four to five million might be a little bit low. May maybe have to go to six million. But the 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 point being is that down the road, the, the team currently has the cap space to make that kind of move. Lamar Jackson can't be extended until after next year, so there's no concerns about him eating into that sixty nine million dollar number. Um, James Hurst, an offensive lineman, could convert his salary into a signing bonus. Uh, could create about two point five million. Brandon Carr could have three million converted into a signing bonus and and provide about $1.5 million in cap. Sam Koch um, could be converted into a signing bonus. And then you get yourself to a place where um, if you restructure those, uh, those I've now said um, those four players or extend them, you could create about $6 million in space and the Ravens are then at... Um, let me see. One million, one point five, two point five. Yeah, you could create three to five, uh, six to five. I mean, six to five, six to seven million dollars in cap space. Put the team uh, about seven point five, eight, eight, eight point five million dollars worth of cap space. Now they 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 have the room to trade for say Vic Beasley, who the who the Falcons have determined is someone they want to move on from. Get get draft capital back for. So um, you know Beasley is not a candidate. Chandler Jones has a salary that could fit under the cap if if the if the Arizona Cardinals were willing to move on from him. Von Miller has nine million dollars in salary over the next nine weeks, so that's a bit more of a stretch, but something that could be could be could happen. I mean, salary caps can be finagled with teams can do things that I wouldn't advise or that you know to to create you know, guys, you know, extends players that they might not really want later and, and accept the dead money consequences to try and make that run in year in this year. And that that's possible. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, for Von Miller, I wrote that he would be hard to fit under the cap unless the team wants to extend Jimmy Smith to decrease his $9.5 million salary this year and kick cap responsibilities down the road on a 31-year-old at a position that traditionally ages poorly, cornerback. Um, and, and he hasn't been aging very well himself. Um... Other candidates include Yannick Ngaku. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I sometimes I just I think Ngaku, right? Uh, his ten week salary, or now it'd be a nine week salary. His nine week salary would be just over one million dollars, um, or just over one point one million dollars, I believe, um, closer to one point two. And um, Shaq Barrett with the Bucks, he's a candidate. Four million dollar for the uh, uh, contract for the season. Um, he's playing in a way that might earn him a mega deal, which would mean a third-round compensatory pick in 2021 for the Bucks if he walks in free agency. JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, might be someone the team is willing to trade away as well. So before the Seahawks season, Jadavian Clowney was traded to the Seahawks in return for a 2020 third-round pick, plus two reserve linebackers and special teamers. Um, you know, For Avon Miller or Chandler Jones, established veterans with multiple years left in their contract, those teams might be looking for a combination of a second and a third or fourth or even a first. Um, that, that, that's highly possible. Um, you know, I don't think they'll get a first for guys like that. Um, Mohamed Sanu <laughs> did just get a second-round pick. So Bill Belichick kind of, kind of set the pace and set, set the market for everybody else, right? And for a player on the last year of his contract like Ngaku or Barrett, the teams are probably seeking a third-round pick as they would be that would be the return they'd likely receive it in the form of a compensatory pick in 2021. But that third-round pick from a team in a trade would happen in 2020. 
Uh, Beasley hasn't performed at a high level since his league-leading 15.5 sack season in 2016. The price might be a fourth or a fifth. Beasley is an interesting case because um, while he was leading the NFL with sacks, it was clear that he had... PFF had some great data on the fact that he was getting home on sacks at a higher rate than is usually usually seen. So um, it was, uh, you know, the law of averages, you know, he, he wasn't getting a lot of pressures, essentially. He was, he was getting a, let me, let me rephrase that. He was getting, a, I think he got 54 pressures that season, and, but 15, 15.5%, uh, 15.5 sacks, um, were um, he he had fifteen point five sacks right so out of fifty four pressures that was too high a percentage it was like you know obviously it, as you can do the math it's almost about thirty percent right thirty percent of his pressures turned into sacks I think the NFL rate was more around eighteen percent if I remember correctly from an article I read three years ago um, it's it's in that area though the, the fifteen to twenty percent range right so he's way over that so all told with the roster in place um. You know, here, here's the other point, too, is that even if the Ravens don't get that help this year, is that the 2020 free agent class for edge defenders has the potential to be extremely deep if extensions and franchise tags don't get in the way. But if Baltimore can secure an impact player now, obviously they're, they're, they're at the top of the list right now for Super Bowl contenders. Uh, Vegas has them at number seven. You add, you add a, um, a, a great pass rusher or a good pass rusher and, and improve this defense a little bit, that they're going to keep bumping up, right? So... All told, with all this, is that we're we're now looking at a Ravens team that is, you know, I originally thought that they would compete in this defensive-minded, run-based kind of kind of uh, model. But I mean, Lamar Jackson is averaging. Um, sh- shoot, man, Lamar Jackson's averaging. Uh, what did I say? He has Lamar Jackson stats. He's averaging. <laughs> He's averaging 82.3 yards per game running the football. Mark Ingram's doing a great job, too. So you've got a roster here that is running the football well, but then also passing the football better than that 2000 team that, that I spoke of. The defense has now bounced back in the Seattle game with the addition of Marcus Peters. They had two defensive touchdown, uh, two defensive returns for touchdowns. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely an exciting time to be a Ravens fan, if you are a Ravens fan out there, right? And, um, and what... what you know, we're looking at a team that now is in the full-fledged potential to take advantage of this Super Bowl window that I discussed that is the rookie contract quarterback. Uh, the Jets have fudged it up. The Jet, you know, the Jets are in a... I can't believe I just said fudge. I feel like a, a, a 12-year-old Christian boy or something like that. But anyway, the, the Jets have screwed it up. Um, you know, they, they, they've... I think you can clearly say that they've screwed up the head coaching job, the head coaching hire... I don't think Adam Gase was ever the guy. Um, you know, for some reason, I, I think I know the reason. I think that the, part of the reason is that one person starts saying someone something and they begin to kind of be that person no matter what the you know evidence says otherwise. I mean, Adam Gase had one good season as an offensive coordinator with Peyton Manning as the offensive coordinator because everyone knows Peyton Manning is the offensive coordinator on every team he's ever been a part of, essentially calling the plays, doing the most important uh, work that a quarterback does, and um, you know some of the most important work. Uh, you know, I, I I don't I try not to speak in absolutes in in that kind of form, but um, 
Yeah, Gase isn't the guy. You're looking at uh, Baker Mayfield's situation now looks 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 like a, an issue. Um, the Cardinals tried it with Rosen. Now they're trying with Murray. Who knows what that's going to look like. Uh, the Bills are a similar model to the Ravens, right? Let's play good defense. And, um, you know, let's play good defense. Let's run the football. Um, you know, what are they... They're third in the NFL, you know, and that this is this is kind of the model that I more so envisioned for the Ravens was what the Bills are doing, which with they have the third best defense in the NFL in both in terms of both points points allowed, yards allowed. Um, you know, I, I expected Lamar Jackson to be a little bit more like Josh Allen this year than than the Lamar Jackson we're seeing. Um, Josh Allen's having a good season. Um, you know, two hundred and twenty passing yards per game, which is great. Um, he's running for 31 passing, uh, rushing yards per game. But Lamar Jackson has taken that model and took it to a whole new level. And that's... It, it, and it, I had a question uh, given to me by a friend in, help, in, in conjunction with the podcast stuff. Was that, um, you know, did Earl Thomas look at this Ravens team and see the 2013 Seahawks as a comparable to, to what he was looking at, right? And I think he did. I think he saw Lamar Jackson as the Russell Wilson. I think he understood what this offense was going to do in terms of play action. Russell Wilson, uh, I've gone over it uh, in a few different places about Russell Wilson and his play action percentage that year. I think he was first in the NFL in terms of most play action passes. And play action is a thing that just is a strategy that makes the quarterback just simply more efficient. And in doing so, uh, the, the Ravens have done the same thing with Lamar Jackson. So. The offense is running as, at its most efficient rate. The defense just needs one or two more pieces uh, to next year potentially be the number one contender for the Super Bowl, um, and, and at least where I'm sitting. Um, you know, Mahomes, I, I forgot to mention when, when I'm talking rookie contract quarterbacks, is, is I think next year is a, is a battle between, you know, the Patriots, of course, again, Patriots are always in it, but next year is going to be a battle between the rookie contract quarterbacks of Patrick Mahomes and... Lamar Jackson, and I think what everyone needs to understand out of all this is this is clearly, um, you know, a, a clear strategy forward. This is clearly, um, you know, again, I, I go over it over and over, but the, the veteran quarterback market is so expensive that it puts a lot of teams at, at, a, at a disadvantage for just going out and get signing a, a veteran, and you have to... I'm writing about the Minnesota Vikings right now uh, with Kirk Cousins' contract, but, but I, I'm... Very enthusiastic about what the Vikings are currently doing uh, on the field in terms of running the football well, playing good defense. Kirk Cousins using a lot of play action again. And, you know, but part of that roster, part of the strength of that roster is, is built through Stephon Diggs being on a contract worth $14.4 million a year. Danielle Hunter, same deal, $14.4 million a year. So, I mean, we're looking at a, a roster that, um, you know, there that, that was able to overcome that big cap hit. But you also have to do it through some of the stuff you do on the field, like play action, like play calling, um, you know, finding value at other positions as well to, to make up for that contract to that quarterback. So, I mean, it, it, it's what, what I'm, the point I'm kind of getting at with all this too, with the play action and with strategy, is that the stuff I talk about in terms of contracts, that's all good. Uh, that's super important. But now I'm, the next steps that I'm taking now are, are helping to, um, to articulate that what the value that you're creating in the salary cap and how you further further um, create value on the field through the strategic things that you do. So uh, the Ravens are in a position where the future's bright. They only need to make a few different 
different moves to, to make this, you know, make, make the future look Super Bowl bright. And, um, you know, I, I think they're a contender this season. They're going to need the defense to continue to step up and, and continue to do better. But I think that, um, I do think that that, you know, that, that being 16th in the NFL in points allowed is a bit of a, a misnomer right there because outside of two games, everyone else has been held under 23 points. Of course, some of those teams are terrible. Um, but it's somewhere in between that of, you know, the, the truth is somewhere in between the fact that they played terrible teams and they get, you know, it's, it's, I don't think they're the 16th best defense in the NFL is what I'm saying. Are they top 10? Probably so. So if they're top 10 can, with this offense, I think they have a real shot at the Super Bowl. Obviously, I think it's next week they play the Patriots. That is going to give us a really big picture of what this team's uh, future looks like. Of course, playing the Patriots also has its downsides in that Bill Belichick now game plans for you twice this season. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting to be following the Ravens right now. It's uh, exciting to see something that might be new, that might be the future of the NFL. And I think John Harbaugh is right, is that mobility is too key a factor for teams to not... Uh, when I think of quarterbacks in the future, I, I, I think every quarterback has to be mobile. Uh, the days of the Peyton Manning type of player that is immobile uh, are probably over because Peyton Manning was special. Tom Brady is special. Um, but, you know, the, the, the mobility is, is with, with the way kids are coming up now, with the training. Because it's a quick sidebar that, that is very relevant. I read an article by Robert Klemko a few years ago about the draft class, and it was like 13 to 15 players in the draft class were... It, it, essentially, the the article was discussing the socioeconomic status of these players. Two-parent homes, um, upper-middle-class upbringing, you know, the kind of upbringing that might allow the... Well, that either places that child that's now an NFL quarterback, places that child at a high school that has the tools to help him continue to develop as an athlete, which then lends itself to the potential of the player... Um, you know, being faster, being ready, you know, being more mobile over time because you can train speed, especially if you start training speed when you're 14. And you can train the throwing, you can train all the mechanics. And these families have the, the ability to invest in their child to do that. So what that means is that the pool of quarterbacks that are continuing to grow into NFL quarterbacks, this pool is is equipped to handle uh, the, the future of the NFL, this mobility. So I think that mobile quarterbacks of the future, I think that's an important important part of what we're learning this year with the Ravens and it's an important point moving forward it's also an important point when you look at what happened to Patrick Mahomes once he was rendered a little bit more immobile um so mobility factor quarterback extremely important um so you know thanks thanks for taking the time to listen to this and if you want to support the podcast go buy my book Caponomics Building Super Bowl Champions it's available on Amazon if you want to um uh, you know, do something good, put some good out in the world, go to go.rallyup.com slash forgotten, learn about Justin Wren's fight for the forgotten. And if you want to follow me, learn more, uh, go to overthecap.com. I write there, go to Twitter and Instagram and find me at Zach Moore NFL, Zach with a K, more with two O's. And, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know if you have any questions about stuff, uh, related to the salary cap for football. Um, and just say hello. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching, um, yeah. And I, and I, um, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, uh, to, uh, you know, let me, let me speak to you. And, uh, I hope everyone has a, it's Thursday right now. I'll probably get this podcast out on Friday. I hope everyone has a great weekend.
And I hope you enjoy the football that you are about to see.